Yes, Lord. We recognize that you are worthy of it all, God. You are a good Father. You deserve all the glory. We praise you, Jesus, for going to the cross in our place, for dying a death that we deserve, Lord. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift from you, Lord, is eternal life through your Son, Jesus. We celebrate that today, God. We celebrate the freedom that is found in your name and your name alone. May you receive all the glory. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today through your spirit, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. That's some good singing, isn't it? Good worship. Y'all sounded good. We have a whole choir here. Sounded really good. You're not better than me. None of you are better than me. And guess what? I'm not better than you. You're not better than me, and I'm not better than you. You might think you're better than me, but you're not. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than anybody here. Now, in our scripture for today, that's what Jesus is saying. You got the crowd. The crowd has all kinds of problems, struggles, difficulties. Jesus goes up the hill, and Jesus speaks to the disciples, and he's teaching the disciples. He's preparing them. He's taking them through a spiritual boot camp of of, of such, and he's getting them to have the right spiritual mindset, the right heart, to understand the right things so that when the time comes, they will be able to address the needs of the crowd and speak truth to the crowd. And so he pauses after speaking about the salt and the light. He, he raised them up and he said, now, in, now, I'm paraphrasing the meaning, and I think that you'll understand why I'm saying this. After he says, you're salt and light, he says, but you got to understand, you're not better than them, and they're not better than you. You're not better than them, and they're not better than you. And when you go in the world, you've got to go into the world with that mindset. It's truth. You're not better than them. They're not better than you. No uppity Christians. That's what he's saying. No judgmental Christians, that's what he's saying. No cynical followers of Jesus, that's what he's saying. You don't go into the crowd and look at him and go, they're beneath me. I'm, I'm, more, I'm superior, I'm better, I've got more going on, I'm holier, I'm more moral, I'm more principled. Jesus says that's not the way it's to be. You go in an understanding that they're not better than you, and you're not better than them. Christian people always get themselves in, a, in the wrong spirit and the wrong attitude when, when they've got that going on. I'm better than them. I'm more mature than them. I understand more than them. Now, that's hard for me to say. I look at some of you and go, I'm better than them. You know, if I'm not careful. I mean, I'm looking at one of you right now. I'm going, I'm better than he is. <laughs> right? I'm better than him. I'm better than he is. You know, I've got more going on than they do. Jesus says, don't do that. That's not true. And, and I think he's going to explain to us why it is. And so we need to think of ourselves shrewdly, wisely. Think of ourselves as we ought. We are not beyond anybody, and we're not below anybody. And he's going to tell us why here today. So obviously, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, in verse 17, we see that people were saying, people were believing, people were thinking, 
that Jesus came to abolish the law. Now, you know that's going on. I mean, when they get around the campfire at night, when they're fishing their day, he says, hey, you hear what Jesus said yesterday over there in, in, in Capernaum? Jesus said this, and Jesus said that, and, and, and Jesus said, you have heard it, but I have said. And, and when you go through Matthew 5, and we're going to do it the next several weeks, you, you'll see in verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say. He says in verse 27, You have heard that it was said, but I say. In verse 31, he says, You have heard that it is said, but I say. And in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, but I say. He, he, and he goes on in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, but I say. You have heard in verse 43 that it was said, but I say. So people are saying a lot of things. They have learned the Old Testament, in other words. They have, they have uh, uh, brought that information to light, and they're comparing what they know with what they're hearing from Jesus. And Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. And so people were saying that Jesus was going to do away with the law. Jesus was going to do away with the prophets, that you had to throw aside everything that you know about walking with the Lord and those things uh, and, and do away with it, that Jesus came to do away with the Old Testament. And, and even today, there are many Christian people that believe that. They believe that we really shouldn't read the law, we shouldn't read the prophets, we shouldn't have any kind of, uh, you know, uh, Emphasis or any kind of influence from the law or the prophets. But when we read verse 17, we know that's not an option for us because Jesus didn't come to do away the law. If he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hmm. Not abolish, but fulfill. Abolish would be do away with. Fulfill would be to make complete to complete the law. And so that's the what you need to be thinking about. So when you read the Old Testament, you need to read the Old Testament with one eye on Jesus and one eye on what the, the Old Testament says. One eye on what the law says, one eye on what the prophets say, and another eye on what Jesus has to say because Jesus is the final authority for us. Jesus is the Word of God. We know that Jesus is the Word of God of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the Word in the New Testament. He's the Word of God in both the Old and the New Testament, in the Law and the Prophets. And so Jesus said, I have come to set the record straight. I have come to make it clear. I am come to give you complete understanding. Now, it wasn't because God wasn't clear to begin with. Many of us look at the Ten Commandments and we'll go, well, if Jesus came to complete that, why did God leave out so much? God didn't leave things out. God, God didn't, didn't make a mistake. God, it's not that God doesn't know how to communicate with us, obviously, right? And so the Ten Commandments were just exactly the way they needed to be. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't, don't dishonor the Sabbath. Don't disrespect your parents. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. So God was clear about the Old Testament. It wasn't that he made a mistake in the Old Testament. It wasn't that he had to clear, clean it up with Jesus and that, he, that God looked down and saw the situation. Ah, we've got to make this better or straight. We've got to clarify our position here. We've got to spin this. We've got to make it so that people understand what the intention was to begin with. It wasn't God that messed up. It was people that messed up. It was people that got it wrong. 
And they didn't understand that the Ten Commandments cry out faith. The Ten Commandments cry out belief. If you read the Ten Commandments and you read what it said and what you do and don't do, you, it, it cries out, man, we've got a real problem because this is speaking about perfect righteousness. And man, there's some shortcomings. Everyone I know, there's shortcomings. There's no one innocent here. And when you look at the society, you look at the world, and you say there's no one innocent but, but God has come to redeem man, you, you've got to look for God's answer in that. What did we not see? Well, they didn't see that God gave the Ten Commandments to be a boundary for lawlessness, to give structure to society, and also to show us that we have a great, great need. And that great need is a Savior. And so Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. He completed the law. And he did that by living a perfect life. Jesus is the only one that didn't break one of the Ten Commandments. Not only did he not break any of the Ten Commandments, but as we're going to go through and look how Jesus digs deep in each those, in some of those commandments and reveals what it means. You have heard, do not murder. But I say, even if you're angry, even if you have an anger that leads to sin, even if you call your friend a fool, even if you have this going on, you, you are guilty of, of, the, of breaking the commandment of murder. And so we're going to see how all that comes to place. But Jesus fulfilled the law by living a perfect life. He's an example of the law. The law was given to us to see how righteous Jesus is. And, and what God did through sending His Son in the world. Jesus fulfilled or completed the law by speaking the truth about the law, by showing the truth, by living the truth, and by speaking the truth. And, and obviously He completed here, and I don't know that was the original intention here, if we were to state that, but it definitely is a result of Jesus coming in the world. He clarified misunderstandings that people had with the law and the prophets. Boy, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the law. If you leave us with Ten Commandments and say, y'all figure this out, you know what I'm doing, don't you? If I keep six of them, I'm okay. If I keep five of them, I'm better than most. If I keep four of them, those first three are difficult ones. They're very subjective. I mean, I know it's, it's more objective that I haven't murdered someone. That's more objective. But having an idol before God, and, and you know, that becomes kind of subjective. And so, you know, uh, you know I, but I, I'll give money to the Ten Commandment group. I'll, I'll, I'll do good deeds. I'll make up for it. I think that, that I can spend my life in such a way that if I stand before the throne of God one day for judgment, I'm going to say, yeah, God, I'm just a four. I know that you wanted ten, but I'm just a four. But honestly, most people I'm around, they, they're not a four, they're a three. Or they're a two-keeper or a one-keeper. I know one old boy, God, that he doesn't need to go to heaven. He was a one guy. Surely you can, you can accept a four guy. We would, be, we would be manipulating things. We would be coming up with our own ideas. We, we would be rationalizing 
just better than anybody's ever rationalized. That's what we would be doing. And Jesus came to clarify those misunderstandings. Look in verses 18 and 19. For truly I say to you, for truly means, really pay attention to this, this is really, really important. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that's the smallest uh, word or smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, not a dot, that's what you put over the iota, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. So not the smallest piece of the law will pass away until heaven and earth passes away, when there's no more need for that, of course, right? Until all the law is accomplished. Therefore, because that even the smallest part will be accomplished, Jesus says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others of the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So the least of the law. And so people look at that and go, ah, oh, Jesus says there's important laws, there's medium laws, and then there's laws that have less importance. Well, okay. But we don't need to miss the big lesson here in that conversation. I think that conversation is for another day. But for, in my opinion, for teaching effect, Jesus said, for that we really understand here, the least of these commandments can't be relaxed. You know, you can't tell a little white lie and think you're good. <laughs> right? It's, a, it's harmless little white lie. It's, it break the Ten Commandments. I mean, I didn't commit adultery. Now, I did, I did stare at that nice-looking young lady a little longer than perhaps I should. But, you know, that's harmless. No, it's not. It's not harmless. Right? I didn't covet my, my neighbor's lawnmower long. You know, I just saw their lawnmower and saw my lawnmower and said, man, I'd love to have that kind of lawnmower. That seems to cut better, stronger, powerful. You know, I'd get on there and, and soup it up a little bit. Just a lawnmower, Lord. It's just a lawnmower. Can you see in the judgment line people go up there? It's, it was just a lawnmower. That's all it was. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really mean it, Lord. You know, you mean to tell me that coveting my neighbor's lawnmower is going to keep me from my righteousness being accepted? Right? Well, it says the least of these commandments, the least of these commandments cannot be slighted, cannot be relaxed. I, for I truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called whoever... I lost my place. My head injury is getting to me here now. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So there's two parts of it, teaching it, right, and doing it. He says, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he says there, that is important for us to understand. It all matters. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so you need to really pay attention to the law and the prophets. Now, there is civil law. There's moral law, which, which is the Ten Commandments, right? Civil law that we've got to deal with. There's ceremonial law that we've got to deal with. And, and you deal with all those different laws through the eyes of Christ. Obviously, we, do, we all know that we can eat shrimp now. We all know that we can eat catfish. We, we all know that you can have cheese and meat to be prepared in the same kitchen because we have Jesus fulfilling that. We also know that we can help people on Sunday or we can help people on a Sabbath if that's the day of your choice. And so, but the Ten Commandments, that moral law, that law that, that God gave us that we know without a shout, not oral law, not traditional law, not the laws that just were used to keep people in a boundary walking across that desert and keep trying to keep their nose clean, that we should elevate that to those Ten Commandments. Boundaries, there's warnings. It, it teaches us to respect authority, and, and it gives us daily wisdom, important. And so he says here to us that the law, every part's important. We need to understand it. We need to respect those Ten Commandments. We need to follow those Ten Commandments. We, we need to teach others to respect and follow those Ten Commandments. And so Jesus is not lowering the bar to his instructions, to his words in the Old Testament, but he's saying that we need to respect his word. We need to honor his word. And we need to do and teach what his word says. And so... He says here in verse 19 that if we do and teach others to do, we are great in the kingdom. And if we do not do and we teach others not to do, we are least in the kingdom. Now, verse 20. Verse 20, I think, is the fulfillment of verses 8, 17, 18, and 19. This is what he really wants them to understand. He speaks about exceeding righteousness. Verse 24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of one of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh. <clears throat> That's squirmy, right? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Who are the Pharisees and scribes? They're the religious leaders. The Pharisees are really religious. The scribes are the keepers and the teachers and the journalers of the law. They're the scribes. They're the scribes. They... I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an important matter. We've got to talk about what it means, this exceeding righteousness. Exceeding righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first look at verse 20, I think about which ones right away. If it's exceeding righteousness... Now, not all the Pharisees were above board, right? 
we know that. Jesus said they're, they're whitewashed tombs. They're, they're dead spiritually. They, their outside is clean, but the inside is dirty. I'm going to go find me that dirty cup, and I'm going to stand by him all the time. And when I think that I'm getting close to judgment, I'm going, Lord, <laughs> look at this boy right here. My righteousness is exceeding this Pharisee's righteousness. Matter of fact, I got a long list here, Lord, of how unrighteous this Pharisee is. He got to be a Pharisee because of who his daddy was. He got to be a Pharisee because of where he went to school. He got to be a Pharisee because of political means. That's the only thing. He's, the dude's got money. But Lord, he cheats and he steals and he connives and he manipulates. And his my righteousness exceeds the righteousness of that guy. But that guy over there, his... Oh, I got to avoid him. I can't stand next to him in the line. If, it, if it's my righteousness has got to exceed that of the righteousness of the fairies and the Sadducees. Now, for these disciples hearing this, Man, this, would, this had to be been tough, difficult. I, I don't believe one of these guys here, one of these 10, uh, 12 disciples, I mean, I, I, my righteousness doesn't exceed anybody. I just said 10 disciples. Wrong, right? It's 12. One questionable, so we can go with 11, right? And so, uh, but we didn't know that then, of course. And, and so I'm looking at this, and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm not better than anyone I'm not better than any of these, these Pharisees. They're righteous. They, I mean, they go to the temple every day. They got the right clothes on. They do the right thing. They've been to school about this. I mean, they, they do this all day long. My righteousness can exceed their righteousness. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. I, I'm going to ask this question. You may not need to, but I need to ask this question. Whose righteousness is Jesus talking about here? Now, here's some things to think about. Here's some reasoning that, that I, I think about, put myself in the disciples' shoes. Does this exceeding righteousness mean what I think it means here by what it says? Can it possibly mean that God is setting us up for a life of comparison. For a life of comparison. Now, when, when I think about that, if it's exceeding righteousness, I think there's going to be a lot of comparison going on, a lot of comparison making. We're always going to be looking at what other people are doing, what other people are not doing. Right? I mean, whatever it might be, however small it might be, we've always got to be finding something that we can elevate our righteousness over other people's righteousness. Let me tell you, I went to church today, didn't have to go to the bathroom one time. Righteousness, baby. Righteousness. I just saw a little moss boy go in the bathroom, so I want to nail him on there. There you go. He won't come back in now, I guarantee it. <laughs> Exceeding righteousness cannot mean comparison. So it cannot mean exceeding righteousness. Which ones? Who's, whose righteousness are we going to use? 
if exceeding righteousness means that my righteousness got to exceed that of the Pharisees, that's going to put us in a situation where there's lots of judging going on, and we don't do good judging. We're not good judge makers. I mean, the law is crazy because of judges. Man is not a good judge, right? You know, I, 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 when we, we vote for judges, they say he's a constitutionalist, he follows the law, he does this. I, the, can we see the man's heart? Do we really know? How wise is he? I mean, just because he's been to school don't mean he's a good judge. And the bottom line is he doesn't know everything. He, it, it, and, and we've seen here lately that judges may not even want to hear a case, and it's okay. I mean, so judges can play the system. Judges can do all these kind of things. Surely God doesn't want people to be in a situation to where they've got to use judgment to get in the right position. That doesn't seem to be right at all. You know something else it does? Exceeding righteousness. If, if, if my righteousness has got to exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we are going to be in moral and spiritual competition with each other. I mean, I've got to be better than you. And so I'm going to try to communicate with everyone I'm around that I'm better than them. Moral competitiveness. I mean, every single day, I'm going to have to wear my... Because going, going to heaven is really a big deal for me. I want to go to heaven. I, I done figured out temporary and eternal. And I'm okay with a little temporal problems for eternal bliss. I want to go to heaven. And so moral competitiveness, man, I think that I will literally just beat myself into depression into submission to be better than everyone that I see around. And you know you're going to talk about it. And then it's also, if exceeding righteousness is, is what we've got to see here, we've got to be better than the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's going to make religious elitism a nasty thing. Man, you think about it, you're going to be compartmentalized about the people you're around all the time. And so you're going to be very selective about the people you're around so that you can be better than they are. Cringe when you hear people say that they're more mature in faith than you are. Cringe when you say, hear people say that they understand more and, and they're more right with God than you are. You go, you elitist, you elitist bigot. You're, a, you're, you're prejudiced. That's not true. You know, you may think you are, but by gosh, let me tell you about my religion. Religious elitism, it would create religious elitism if what Jesus was saying here was that your righteousness has got to exceed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So when I look at this scripture, I say, aha, that's not what it means. That's not what Jesus is saying. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying the law is really important. 
The law is significant. It matters. The Ten Commandments is important for you to understand. It is a boundary. It is a guide. It is a standard. That's what he's saying. And what Jesus is saying here is, you need to look at your life in light of the Ten Commandments. And if you have kept all Ten Commandments, even in consideration with what I'm about to tell you boys about it, then you have... You know, you, you, you are, relig- you are uh, perfect righteousness. That's who you are. you got perfect righteousness. You're good to go. But you look at the Ten Commandments, and what do you see? You, you view my righteousness has got to exceed that of the Pharisees. I haven't kept all the commandments. I haven't kept eight of the commandments. I haven't kept seven of the commandments. And, and I think every single one of us in here will admit after we go through this study and we have a look and we see you have heard but I say, you have heard but I say, how Jesus uncovers the meaning of the Ten Commandments and all of us are going to agree together, none of us have kept all the commandments. Matter of fact, probably most of us have broken all ten of them. And many of us are going to break many of them today. And so it can't mean exceeding righteousness, comparing ourselves with other people. So we've got to see what else Jesus had to say. We've got to see what else the Scripture says. And so uh, I want you to look at Romans chapter 10. Just one spot for time. One spot for time. Romans chapter 10. Paul, the righteous of all righteous, the tribe of Benjamin. Paul would be a good one to hold on to or be a bad one to be with exceeding righteousness. Pretty, pretty, he was a pretty, pretty strong righteous boy. Verse 10, verse 1. Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's speaking about the Jews. He's speaking about the law keepers. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Aha! It's God's righteousness. It's, it's, it's looking at the righteousness of God. And it says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what Jesus is saying, that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what was missing from their righteousness? Faith. Belief. They were workers of the law. They were teachers of the law. They were controllers of the law. They were manipulators of the law. But, but they had a zeal for God, but not with knowledge. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. And so the good news is, it is not our righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's the righteousness of Jesus that exceeds the righteousness of of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
So Jesus wants his people to know you're, you're not better than them and they're not better than you. But you will enter the kingdom of heaven if you believe and trust in my righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. So whose righteousness is it? It's the righteousness of Jesus, the most right, right one that's ever been. There's never been anyone more right than him. He kept all the commandments. He kept all the law. Never sinned. Never broke one of them. He came and he spoke truth. He came and he lived out what it means to be exceedingly righteous, to be completely righteous, to be perfectly righteous. And he died on the cross for us. And when he shed his blood, he died to pay for the sin that we have committed. And, and judgment happened at that moment. Our sin was paid for through the blood of Christ. So, you're not better than them, and they're not better than you. None of us are better than anybody else. The only thing we got going for us is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not religion. It's not morality. It, it, it's, it's not doing all the right things at the right time. Is believing in Jesus. That's what I believe Jesus wants his disciples to have, to understand, to know, to embrace. It's not your righteousness, boys, he's telling them. It's not being more righteous than anybody else. It's me. It's believing in me. And entering the kingdom of heaven means you stand not in your own righteousness, so just enjoy your life and serve me because it's my righteousness that means heaven for you. That's, that's a beautiful word from the Lord today, I think. Whose righteousness are you trusting in? Whose righteousness are you trusting in? You know, you may be hearing this today and the Holy Spirit's really pierced your heart, really spoke to you and said, you know, perhaps I've been trusting in my own righteousness. I've been comparing I've been observing, I've been judging other people, I've been, been hoping I'm more right than others, I've been, I've been comparing my life with other people, and, and today I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, it's not my righteousness that matters, it's His righteousness that matters. And you would just receive the Lord, and just you would just open up your heart. And so let's pray together, and if that is your situation today, I hope that's good news for you. You can just rest in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. After all, Jesus himself says here, it's not your righteousness that needs to exceed the religious people. You're not better than me, and I'm not better than you. Only by the good work of Jesus on the cross do we have a righteousness only through what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray for anyone here today that needs to open up their heart and mind to you. I just pray, Lord, they realize that your grace is available, that your love is unconditional, all-powerful, and that your truth is available. Help us, Lord, to rest in, not in our own righteousness, but in your righteousness. Lord, we recognize that that your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Help us not to serve you with a lack of knowledge, with a lack of understanding, 
but to serve you with zeal, recognizing your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.